If y'all would please open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 is where we'll be at today, beginning in verse 17. As you're turning there, um, I'd like to brag on my wife for just a moment. She is a very patient woman. And you may have known that because she's married to me. Um, now, I'm sure some of y'all have had similar experiences, whether in Kelsey's shoes or my shoes. You know, maybe you're asked to get something, told, okay, I need you to grab this for me. It's right behind the milk. Let's say that. I need you to get something from the fridge. It's right behind the milk. And you go to the fridge, and you open it up, <coughs> and you look right behind the milk. There's nothing there. There's, no, there's not a single thing behind the milk. So you go back and you say, well, I, I didn't see it. It wasn't there. And then this is typically what happens. Kelsey will then go and check, and sure enough, it's right there. Now, I'm not entirely convinced that Kelsey didn't just plant stuff there and doesn't do that. <laughs> but you ever have those times where you're looking right at something? It's right there, right in front of you, and you just can't get it. You can't see it. Well, in today's story, this rich young ruler has eternal life right in front of him, and he misses it. Mark 10, beginning in verse 17, he says, Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is, God. Do you know, or you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, that you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word. You have given us the Bible to learn, to study, to grow from. God, I pray that we would seek out your wisdom, that we would submit ourselves to you. And God, that we would not miss what is right in front of us. I ask this in your name. Amen. So this begins with what seems like a good question, right? This man comes up to Jesus, he kneels down before him and says, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Sounds like a pretty good start, right? I mean, that's, that's the goal, isn't it? To have eternal life. He even calls Jesus good teacher. Well, this question is actually sort of like stepping on a landmine. 
going up to Jesus and saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right from the get-go, right from the start, we see that this man is looking inward. It's kind of confusing because he, he runs up to Jesus, he kneels down before him, the position you take when standing before God. The reason we kneel in prayer a lot of times when we're alone is because we are putting ourselves below God. We are physically showing humility in the face of God. So he comes up, he kneels before God, shows that he, he recognizes the power of this man, calls him good teacher, and then puts it, points it right back at himself. Kneels down before him, good teacher, what must I do? What must I do? His pride blocks what he's going for. Right from the beginning. Starts off looking safe, starts off looking sound, but his pride gets in the way. He recognizes the power, the authority, the majesty of Jesus. And then he lets himself get in the way. Now Jesus, though, is not uh, mean or cruel to this man. In fact, he, he loves him, it says in verse 20. Um, sorry, verse 21. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus cares about this man. So in verse 18, he responds, Why do you call me good? Now, I don't know about you. If I'm this rich young ruler, my thought is, okay, get to the question. Answer the question. <laughs> I called you good because it was, it was nice, but Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. I have read this countless times in my life. And for the longest time, I, I kept thinking, this is just like a, a disjointed answer. You know, Jesus responds to him and says, okay, only God is good, so just kind of get that out of the way, and now do these good things. Only God is good, so now do these good things, and then you'll have eternal life. But that's not, that's not the way Jesus is answering this. These are not two disjointed things. It's not one thought and then a completely separate thought. This is all one answer. Jesus says to him, only God is good. You know the commandments. You know what is defined as good. You know what God defines as good. He says, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. In other words, only God is good. And here's why only God is good. Only God is good because only He is able to keep these things Intact, to keep these laws intact. Now, you may be reading this and thinking, okay, well, don't commit adultery. Never had an affair. Don't commit murder. I'm good there. Um, don't steal. I mean, I've never, like, taken, like, I've never robbed a store, so I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say I'm good there. Don't bear, ah, false witness. I don't know about that one. I mean, only small lies, right? Don't defraud. Um... Never done that, never committed tax evasion, honor your father and mother. I think I'm pretty good there. 
That's what we tend to do when we're thinking about ourselves and reading Scripture, reading the laws of God, the commands of God. That's what this man is doing here. But what Jesus is showing is that he's not good. Jesus is saying, only God is good. Here's why you are not good, and here's why God is good. Now again, do not commit adultery. Jesus says that if you have looked after someone with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery with them. And Jesus says that if you look at someone with hate in your heart, then you have committed murder against them. Well, if those are the standards, then we've all committed adultery, murdered, stolen. I think if we were to take a poll of who in here has told a lie, I think we'd get a lot of hands raised and then a few people who are doing it now. The point is that we all sin. We are all broken and failing. Jesus' answer is cutting right to the heart of it. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, hey, only God is good. You can't do it. You can't do enough good deeds to earn eternal life. You can't earn that on your own. Jesus intends for this man to recognize his error, to recognize his faults. The point of this is not to just give him a, a laundry list. It's not to just say, okay, here's your to-do list. Now go ahead and do these things. It's not to say, hey, okay, hold on. Just only God is good. Now do these good deeds. Jesus is confronting him. What he wants, the response that is it's, it's required from this is to say, I called you good teacher because you are the son of God. And you are absolutely right. Only God is good, and I am not. I need you. That is the proper response. But that's not the response this man gives. He answered and said to him, verse 20, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. In other words, Jesus says, Why do you call me good? Only God is good. And this man responds, Me too. I'm good too. I, I've done those things. I'm good. He is equating himself with God, saying that he is good. He has kept all these commands. It's pride. That's all it is. It's pride. The same thing that you and I deal with on a daily basis. It's this man's pride getting in the way. This man's arrogance you know, I had a, a buddy that used to work at the sheriff's office, and he had, he one time brought home these drunk goggles. You put them on, and it, it imitates what it's like to be drunk. So you put them on, and, you know, we went out in the backyard and tried to play football, and obviously we failed. It was not a good time. <laughs> but a lot of times what they'll do is they'll bring you into a closed driving course, and they'll put on these drunk, drunk goggles, and then you got to try and drive, and you always end up hitting all the cones. and The point is that if you're drunk, you can't drive because you're, you're not seeing properly. You're not seeing through the right lens. Well, here, this man's arrogance is acting like drunk goggles for him. 
And pride is to the soul what drunk goggles are to the eyes. It gives you the wrong lens to see through. Everything becomes distorted when you're looking at things through a lens of pride and arrogance. It, it just ruins everything that you're looking at. Jesus says only God is good. You know the commandments. In other words, God is good. Here's why. And this man thinks, yeah, I'm right up there with him. I'm good too. I've kept those commandments. I'm, I'm, I'm set. It's just pure arrogance. Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. The point of Jesus calling out those sins, giving him the commandments, is to get him to stop looking at himself and start looking to God. To look at himself and say, I am broken. I am failed. I am sinful. I need something. I need some Savior. I need someone who is good on my behalf. It's right in front of him. Jesus is standing right in front of him. He has knelt down, acknowledged that Jesus is better than him. Jesus is above him. He has knelt before him, calls him good teacher, and yet still doesn't get it. He's looking right behind the milk and just can't see it. Now, I know that this obviously happened years ago, but this happens daily. Happens all the time. How many times do you hear something from sermon or from scripture? You read something in the Bible and you think, oh, I know, so-and-so needs to repent of this. God is using this, God put this in my uh, daily reading, my Bible reading, so that I can tell so-and-so that they are living in sin. They need to repent of this. I'm good. I'm good. I'm set. That's pride. Now, certainly God can use you to encourage your, your brother or sister to call them out, to, to call them to repentance in love, but God is going to also work on you through that. If you are reading your Bible daily and, and never seeing any way in which you need to repent, you need to be brought closer to God, you need to grow in your faith, then you are reading your scripture through the wrong, the wrong lens. If you never see any correction for yourself, you're looking through the wrong lens. I promise you, there's some area in your life you need to give to the Lord, you need to work on. We all do. On this side of eternity, we all struggle. We all face sin. We all have these problems in our lives that we need to give to God. We all have those things. Now, that's, that's part of why we have the church. You know, the church is the tangible evidence of God. The church is the tangible working of God in our lives. The church is built to encourage us, to hold us accountable, to love us, to help us from, from getting these, these lenses of pride on, to humble us. We need people around us to uh, bear witness to each other to help us because there may be something sometime where I'm struggling and there may be sometime where my friend is struggling and we need to encourage one another in those times and build one another up. It's why God gave us the body of Christ. We're not made to be alone. We're made to be part of a body, part of something bigger than us. 
But a lot of times, our arrogance gets in the way. You know how many times I've heard, I don't need the church. I, I just read my Bible. I'm good. I don't need to go to church. I'm, I'm fine. I read my Bible daily, so I'm good. And I often tell people that say that, well, you just proved that you don't read your Bible daily when you said that. The Bible is clear that we need to be part of a body to hold one another accountable, to get that lens of pride off of ourselves. Because I may look at a situation and think, man, I am, I am in the right. This other person, they are so far in the wrong, and I've done everything properly and right. But then the moment somebody else, some third party comes in, they can point out, no, you're not entirely in the right. Yeah, that other person isn't entirely right, but you're also in the wrong too. You've done this wrong. You've done A, B, and C. And that just humbles you real quick. That will bring you down to the level you're supposed to be at. That's why we have the church to help us, to build us up, to encourage us, and to tear away the pride that we feel, tear away the sinful nature. Pride is part of sin. Pride is what the devil uses to, our flesh uses to, to draw us away from God. Pride is what got in the way of this man recognizing what Jesus was saying. But it doesn't end there. Jesus doesn't just hear his answer and say, well, you know what? If you think you're fine, then go on. Verse 21, Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. In that response that Jesus gave, he fully exposed the condition of this man's heart. In that response, we see the full extent of this man's sin. This man did not lose his hope of salvation because he had possessions. It was the love of possessions. God's not against you having things. God's not against money. He's not against wealth. But it's how you view those things. What do you do with those things? Do you love your possessions, your stuff, your little trinkets more than other people? Do you love your stuff more than you love God? That's the question here. In fact, if you would please uh, flip to Matthew chapter 22 for just a moment. Matthew chapter 22, looking at verses 34 through 40. Here we see where Jesus wants our hearts to be. Again, Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
This is the first great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. On those two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Everything in the Old Testament is summed up on those two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those, Jesus says, are the two greatest commandments. And that's what's written in the Old Testament, is that those are the two greatest commandments. So this man likely knew these things. He claimed to to be good, claimed to do all these good things. He did all these righteous acts, these good deeds. But when it came down to submitting to Jesus as Lord, loving Him over His possessions, and giving to His neighbors just as He would give to Himself, that's where He just, He couldn't do it. He couldn't bring Himself to do it because He loved the things that He had. Because he loved his possessions, he loved his trinkets. So Jesus says, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross and follow me. So the very things that that all of the law and the prophets, that's how the Bible refers to the Old Testament, the very thing that the law and the prophets hang on, this man does not have. He doesn't love the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and he doesn't love his neighbor as himself. God exposes, Jesus exposed with that one command, the true state of this man's heart. Now, for all outward appearances, this man, he was a good person, right? He's got money. He's nice. He knows the law pretty well. He's a good person in the community. He's upstanding. If we can take this to be true, if we can take what he says to be true, he does a lot of good things, does a lot of good deeds, right? But all of it is about himself. It's all about him. None of it is out of love for other people. None of it is out of love for God. It's out of love for himself and growing his possessions, growing his savings account. It's about growing himself. But he was sad at this word, and went away sorrowful. He was so close. I mean, this close. He was standing right before Jesus. And yet he missed it. And it's not because he was the worst of the worst. It's not because he did some unspeakable deed. It's not because Jesus refused him and turned him away. It's because his own pride stopped him from recognizing what was in front of him. His own pride stopped him from recognizing that everything on this world is worth giving up for eternity. That everything that we have in this world is worth giving up for heaven. His own pride got in the way of him recognizing Jesus standing in front of him. The crux of this, the the emphasis of all this, the most important part of this passage 
goes back to Jesus' first response. Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. The best person, think of the best person in your life, whether that's your mother, grandma, maybe someone you know, a friend. They struggle and sin and fall. We all are dependent on God. We all are dependent on His life, His death, His burial and resurrection. There is no other way to heaven. There is nothing you can do, no amount of good deeds that you can do, no amount of money that you can give to earn your way into heaven. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Surrender to God. Stop trying. Stop putting it on yourself. Surrender to Him. That is the only way. If you feel the Lord calling you, don't let pride block the way. Don't let pride get in the way of you giving your life to the Lord. If you have been struggling and trying and, and asking God, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The answer is simple. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Call on His name and He will not forsake you. He will not leave you. Confess your sins and ask for forgiveness and live for Him. Or maybe you have been uh, living for Him, but you, you've been struggling. You need a, a home, a body to come around you and be with you, to help you, to encourage you. And I ask that you come and join the church. That's what we're here for. We all struggle. We all need help. We all need one another. Let us help you. As the Lord leads, you come. Father God, I thank you for your kindness. God, that even in our brokenness, our fallenness, even when we struggle, that you still have patience with us, that you still love us, still care for us. God, I ask that if there is someone in here today that does not know you, they would give up their pride. Stop trying to bear the weight of salvation on themselves, the weight that you already took on the cross, and just surrender to you. God, I pray that you would convict people this morning. Convict me this morning, Lord. Grow us. Help us. Guide us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.